Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, my fellow believers, and welcome in to episode number 29 of Combat Bets with Jason Barron on the Believe Network, presented by BetOnline.ag. Thank you so much for joining me on another great episode. This one will be focused on boxing, so if you want to listen to my UFC or MMA podcast, that'll most likely be my next episode. But before I get into any combat sports talk, I really just got to shout out Novak Djokovic, an amazing performance he had at the French Open, beating Rafael Nadal in the semifinals. One of the hardest things to do in all of sports is to beat Rafa on clay in a best-of-five set match, and somehow Djokovic did it. It really was that third set, some of the best tennis I've ever seen, most likely the match of the year thus far in the tennis season. And Rafael Nadal, we of course all know is the king of clay. He's nearly unbeatable on that surface. But of course, Djokovic, with his defensive instincts, his ability to get to drop shots, and his overall court movement, and also his mental capacity is really what makes him such a great tennis player. Because in tennis, you do the same motions, a forehand, a backhand, thousands of times in practice. So oftentimes, if the talent level of both players is pretty comparable to each other, then their mental aptitude, their mental will, and um, their ability to fight back from some adversity during a match is really what can separate you know the good players from the great players and we've seen this over and over in Djokovic and the way he plays uh, the ability he has to fight back after you know playing some poor points and then just moving on to the next point to always give himself a chance to try and win the match and then when he has you down he does a really good job of putting you away and not letting you back in the match and that third set against Rafael Nadal went to a tie break and I thought after uh, Djokovic was able to overcome that and win the tie break that Nadal really had nothing left going into that fourth set he really gave it his all to try and win that third set and when he didn't in that fourth set Djokovic took over put Nadal away and won 6-2 to conquer the king of clay and win as an underdog in that match And then going into his final match against the upstart, the young kid, Stefano Tsitsipas, the best Greek tennis player in the world right now. He's only 22 years old, so of course he's going to have more chances to get back in major finals and maybe win one of these titles. But for now, Djokovic uh, just adds to his GOAT status, and that's really what he's doing right now in his career. I already believe he's the best tennis player ever. And each time he overcomes these adversities and wins against the likes of Nadal or, you know, Dominic Thiem, Stefano Tsitsipas, whoever it is, he always, or, and then in the Australian Open, he beat Daniel Medvedev, of course, in that final. So it's these young players like Tsitsipas and Medvedev trying to overtake the old guard that is Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, and Djokovic time and time again shows that Uh, you know, when he has a chance to win a major title, most likely he's going to pull through and he's going to come out on top. And then in the match against Tsitsipas, he got off to a rough start, lost the first set in in a tie break, 
lost the second set, uh, pretty handily 6-2. So Tsitsipas was on the verge of winning the title up two sets to none against Djokovic. Then uh, Djokovic raises his level for the next three sets and is able to close it out 6-3, 6-2, and 6-4 in the fifth set. This just shows incredible determination, incredible will by Djokovic. Then that just shows you that great athletes are not only skilled physically, but also mentally. And tennis is such a mental sport. And I think Djokovic time and time again shows that he's the king of mental willpower and also the best defensive tennis player, best returner I've ever seen. And then when he gets his serve going and can really get in the rhythm and control points, he's nearly unbeatable. And I'm looking forward to seeing what Djokovic can do at Wimbledon. And now a word from our sponsor, betonline.ag. The month of June is heating up with a ton of exciting sports action. And BetOnline is where you can find it. From basketball and hockey playoffs to baseball's marquee matchups, including prop bets and futures, BetOnline has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next tip-off, face-off, or pitch, head on over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Now, my fellow believers, let's get into some fight recaps. I'll start with the exhibition fights, and then we'll get into some real boxing matches that happened this past month. I'll go ahead and start with the card on June 6th on a Showtime pay-per-view. The main event was Floyd Mayweather versus Logan Paul. Eight rounds in a special exhibition fight. The co-main event was Babu Jack versus Dervin Colina. Ten rounds, light heavyweights. And the third fight was Jarrett Hurd versus Luis Arias. Ten rounds, junior middleweights. I'll start with the Jarrett Hurd fight. I thought that Hurd really needed a win here to get his career back on track after some tough losses, but Luis Arias really impressed me with his forward pressure and his ability to close the space down on Jarrett Hurd and not let him breathe or get into a good rhythm during the fight, which is why he ended up getting this big decision win in his career and the biggest fight of his career. He came through on a big Showtime card, and for Jarrett Hurd, you know, I thought this was a close fight. Maybe it could have gone either way, but those last few rounds where Arias really put the pressure on Hurd and didn't let him, you know, create enough distance is really uh, why Arias came out on top here. And Hurd has some quite noble wins, actually. He knocked out Tony Harrison, a guy that beat uh, Jermel Charlo, but then lost to him in their rematch. But he still knocked out Tony Harrison. He uh, was able to beat Austin Trout by a 10th round corner stoppage. He got a split decision win over Arislan Lara. He knocked out Jason Wellborn in the fourth round. Then he had a unanimous decision loss to Julian Williams in what was a pretty big upset, I believe. He followed that up with a unanimous decision win over Francisco Santana. And then most recently, a split decision loss to Luis Arias. So Jared Hurd here, he's still a quality fighter, only two losses on his professional record. And as as I said, 
pretty impressive wins over the likes of Arislan Lara and also Austin Trout. So by no means is Hurd done yet. And I think he can come back from this loss and maybe step in there with a guy like Daniel Jacobs, maybe a Gabriel Rosado, and see how that goes. Uh, but for Hurd, this was a close fight. I just think the other guy wanted it more, and that's why he ended up getting the decision. Now let's move into the co-main event. And this was a light heavyweight fight between Babu Jack and Dervin Kalina. And Babu Jack got the knockout in the fourth round against a completely overmatched opponent. That shouldn't have been in there with him. Babu Jack worked well behind the jab to set up his power punches. Some really good body shots. He landed on Kalina to get him out of there. But the original fight that was actually scheduled for this card was going to be a rematch between Babu Jack and Jean Pascal. And their first fight was very close. A split decision win for Jean Pascal. So I was really looking forward to their rematch. Unfortunately, Pascal, a fighter from Canada, tested positive for a banned substance. So the fight was unfortunately called off. So instead, we got uh, Dervin Kalina stepping in there. And he was completely overmatched against Babu Jack. And for Babu Jack, he's getting a little older now. Uh, he's already 37 years old, so probably towards the end of his career. But I always like watching him fight. He usually puts on exciting fights. He's got good boxing fundamentals. And uh, Babu Jack is a guy that I definitely want to see in there again. Maybe you put him in there against Maxine Vlasov, the guy that just Lost a very close fight to Joe Smith Jr. Or maybe, hopefully, we can get that rematch between uh, Pascal and Jack in the future. Now, let's get to the main event. On that quite unique evening, we had Floyd Mayweather taking on Logan Paul. Eight rounds in a special exhibition fight. And this really wasn't the greatest fight. A lot of hugging going on there. Logan Paul just wrapping up Floyd Mayweather, so he wasn't going to keep getting hit and for Floyd Mayweather he still showed that speed that reaction time uh, that great defensive you know fundamentals that he's always had and he fought a much bigger man in Logan Paul much younger but he was still able to come out on the better end of it although there were no no judges scoring this fight it's obvious that Mayweather won and if you missed this fight or you didn't one pay for the pay-per-view, which I really hope you didn't. You did not miss much because this was really a one-sided fight with Logan Paul just holding on uh, to Mayweather, wrapping him up so he couldn't keep getting hit. And for Mayweather and Paul, this was really just a money grab. So you give, you know, props to them for stealing that money from the viewers. As Mayweather said, he's the best at legalized bank robbing. And that's exactly what happened uh, a few Saturdays ago at the beginning of June. Of course, for us pure fight fans that just want to see real fights, we don't like uh, necessarily how boxing is moving into these exhibition matchups and not setting up the big fights that we want to see, like Errol Spence Jr. versus Terrence Crawford or Tyson Fury versus Anthony Joshua. Instead, we have these interesting fights that aren't real fights but they also aren't totally terrible like we had Jake Paul the brother brother of Logan Paul fighting Ben Askren we had two very old fighters and Mike Tyson 
and Roy Jones Jr. decide to get in there and give us a somewhat interesting matchup. And then we had Floyd Mayweather taking on Logan Paul. So I think the, what, the reason that boxing is doing this and the reason that networks are promoting these fights is because they need to grow the sport and the current crop of fighters or the current fights that are happening are not quite enough perhaps. But at the end of the day, it is an entertainment business and fights are put on for the entertainment of the fans. So if people want to see this and if the guys are willing to get in there and give these fans a show, then that's what's going to keep happening. But I really thought that Mayweather-Paul fight was just a disgrace to the sport of boxing for Mayweather to even take that fight uh, with his legacy really doesn't make much sense to me. But then you look at, you know, how many pay-per-views they did. I think over a million. You look at all the money that they made from that fight. You can understand that Mayweather is never going to turn down an easy check. And that's indeed what he did uh, getting in there against Paul and showing his class. Some of the time he caught Paul with a good straight right hand, I believe. Then it looked like he might have held him up so he didn't go down. Unclear what happened there. So we'll see what happens from here if Mayweather decides to put on another exhibition match. And if the Paul brothers, Logan and Jake, continue to fight. And we know Jake Paul will be fighting Tyron Woodley next. If Woodley loses that uh, matchup, then I think we really got to take Jake Paul seriously as a pretty decent boxer. And of course, his brother Logan Paul, I don't think is anywhere near as talented or has the punching power of Jake Paul. And I don't think that uh, Logan Paul is a real fighter. But if uh, Jake comes through and beats Tyron Woodley, then we're going to have to start taking him seriously. And in that fight against Ben Askren, some are saying he took a dive, like he put his face right out there to get punched. Uh, It kind of looked like that on the replay, but of course we'll never really know the truth. And if Tyron Woodley doesn't come out on top in this fight, then, you know, it it just proves what I think we already know, which is that he's over the hill. He's most likely not going to fight in the UFC again. And he said this was his biggest payday. So maybe that's why he's taking the fight. But he better go out there and beat Jake Paul and not embarrass the whole MMA community. Now let's get on to the next exhibition fight card. And that was on June 19th from Jalisco, Mexico on pay-per-view. In the main event, we had a nearly 60-year-old Julio Cesar Chavez Sr. taking on Hector Camacho Jr. Six rounds, a middleweight exhibition. In the co-main event, there was Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. taking on Anderson Silva. 10 rounds in the cruiserweight division. And then in the third fight, there was Omar Chavez taking on Ramon Alvarez. 10 rounds in the middleweight division. Ramon Alvarez is the older brother of Canelo Alvarez. And Omar Chavez is one of the sons of Julio Cesar Chavez Sr. And in this fight, Alvarez won by decision. He opened up a big cut on Omar Chavez and was able to win the fight. But I thought Chavez started out the fight really strong against Alvarez. Alvarez came on a pretty strong 
then in the second half of the fight and was able to get a decision win. Then in the co-main event, it was really an interesting fight matchup between the 46-year-old Anderson Silva and the 35-year-old Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. I mean, for Silva to put on that performance at 46 years old and not a very experienced boxer against the likes of Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., who's got big wins over the likes of Marco Antonio Rubio, Andy Lee, Brian Vera, and he's also lost to great fighters like Sergio Martinez by unanimous decision. Uh, he's also lost to Canelo Alvarez by unanimous decision and Daniel Jacobs by fifth round corner stoppage. And Chavez Jr. is very experienced with a professional record of 52 wins, 6 losses, and 1 draw. And he lost to a 46-year-old Anderson Silva by split decision. Silva throughout the fight was the busier fighter, throwing a lot more punches. And then he also showed that elusive defensive instinct that made him such a legendary UFC fighter, able to put his hands down and utilize great head movement to bob and weave out of the way of the on-forward pressure of Chavez Jr., but as I said, uh, Chavez was not nearly aggressive enough, not nearly active enough in his punches, and that lack of activity is really what cost him the decision. And also, Anderson Silva had some really good moments in there, getting uh, Chavez against the ropes and really hurting him to the body and landing a lot of punches in combination as uh, Chavez Jr. was there against the ropes. And Silva, this was only his third professional fight in, uh, in boxing. Of course, he's had a lengthy MMA career, but only his third professional fight in boxing. And his first fight in boxing since 2005. I'm not sure if this fight says more about the level that Anderson Silva is at or the lack of intensity and the lack of of true class that Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. has. I'm going to go ahead and say that Chavez Jr. is no longer a top fighter, and this really killed his career and any hopes he had of getting those big fights in the future. And for us fight fans, it's great to see like a legend in Anderson Silva go ahead and attempt to have a second career in the sport of boxing. It would just add to his legacy. And I think this win over Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., a very experienced boxer in there with uh, the best guys in his division like Daniel Jacobs and Canelo Alvarez, to get a win over a guy like this is probably one of the biggest wins in Anderson Silva's fighting career. And I think that's uh, most likely what he's thinking to himself. And now let's get to the main event between Julio Cesar Chavez Sr. and Hector Camacho Jr., Julio Cesar Chavez is perhaps the best Mexican boxer ever. Of course, now Canelo Alvarez is trying to come for that title. And Julio Cesar Chavez has a professional record of 107 wins, 6 losses, and 2 draws. One of the most storied careers in all of boxing. And in this matchup against Hector Camacho Jr., I thought he showed great body work, able to really get some good body shots in there against Camacho 
and really beat him up over the course of this exhibition bout. And Julio Cesar Chavez Sr. is 58 years old, and his opponent in this bout, Hector Camacho Jr., is 42 years old. He is the son of the legendary Hector Camacho, and Hector Camacho Jr. has a professional record of 58 wins, 6 losses, and 1 draw. So I think he really did his father proud with that pretty amazing boxing career that he had before hanging up his gloves in 2014. And I thought he looked out of shape in this fight against Julio Cesar Chavez Sr., but this fight was really for the fans. It wasn't one to really be taken too seriously. And it's really the first fight that I've seen where they fought with headgear. I know they do that in the amateur ranks, but to do it in an exhibition bout I thought was smart because when a guy is 58 years old, he really shouldn't be boxing anymore. So take all the precautions necessary with headgear. And then it was kind of funny before the last round started, uh, Julio Cesar Chavez took his uh, headgear off and wanted to fight one round, you know, back in the olden times like he used to fight in the prime of his career, you could see he missed fighting in that fight. And you could see how much that this legendary boxer truly loved getting in the ring and scrapping. And that's what I love to see. Not necessarily the fight, but you could see the passion that Julio Cesar Chavez Sr. has for the sport of boxing. And that's what was really cool to see uh, for a fight fan like me that didn't get to grow up and watch, uh, you know, his legendary fighting career. And while his two sons were also on the fight card in Omar Chavez and Julio Cesar Chavez Jr., their legendary father actually outperformed both of them. I thought he had the best performance of the night other than Anderson Silva, and he showed us fight fans what made him such a great fighter in his prime. It was his forward pressure, his body shots, his jab, and his ability to put power punches together. And even at this advanced age, he still showed great qualities in there. And I did not think that Hector Camacho Jr. necessarily acquitted, acquitted himself well, but it was really an inspiration to see him back in there and fighting for and advocating for addiction and how uh, tough of a disease it is. And of course, we know his legendary father, Hector Camacho, was afflicted with this. He would often use drugs and had a really tough time staying sober. And despite that, he still had an amazing fight career. And I don't know if you watched that documentary that Showtime put out about Hector Camacho, but I really recommend going back and watching it. You get to see his incredibly fast hands that he utilized in the boxing ring. And then you also get to see the other side of it, his affliction with drugs and how he struggled with that over the course of his career. And then his untimely death that was also related to his drug use. But overall, I think Hector Camacho Jr. is definitely doing his dad proud. And getting back to their fight, I thought it was a really cool moment when Julio Cesar Chavez Sr. 
called Canil Alvarez into his corner for that last round. And you could kind of see the passing of the torch there where Julio Cesar Chavez said after the fight that he believes that Canil Alvarez is the best Mexican boxer right now and perhaps of all time. And for him to give a statement like that, you could just see the love that these two legendary Mexican uh, boxers have for each other. One uh, from the previous generation and Canelo Alvarez, of course, fighting now and doing great things. And then after the fight, Julio Cesar Chavez Sr. said if his sons uh, Omar and Julio aren't going to train hard, then he just wants them to retire. And you could just kind of tell that he uh, thinks of Canelo Alvarez as the son that he never had because uh, it's really hard for a fighter to live up to their legendary father. And I think that's what Julio and Omar have been struggling with, with in their fighting career. And Canelo Alvarez is kind of taking the torch that uh, Julio Cesar Chavez once held and kind of continuing that legacy of great Mexican fighters. Overall, it was a very interesting watch, uh, watching that fight card. I enjoyed it more, I would say, than the Floyd Mayweather and Logan Paul fight card, but both interesting nights, and it's something different for the sport of boxing that I think we're going to have to get used to seeing more and more of. Uh, Not necessarily always these real fights, but these exhibition bouts maybe with some retired fighters in there or some YouTube sensations. We'll just have to see what happens because if there's an appetite for these type of fight cards, they're, conti- they're going to continue to happen. I just pray that for some of these older fighters like a Mike Tyson or Roy Jones Jr., a Julio Cesar Chavez Sr., even Anderson Silva at 46 years old, I just pray that they don't suffer any permanent damage to their brains or their bodies And there's a reason we don't see older fighters continuing on in their careers because they've already taken so so much damage. And if they can get out of the sport intact with their brain healthy and their bodies healthy, then that's what they should do. So for them to step back in that ring at an advanced age and continue to fight and put on these exhibition bouts shows the love they have for the sport And also, it gives us younger fight fans a chance to see these legendary fighters perhaps one last time before they hang up their gloves for good. But I do not think that Anderson Silva is done fighting yet, and I look forward to his next boxing match. Now that we've covered those interesting exhibition bouts, let's get into some real fight cards. I'll go ahead and start with the fight card from May 29th. From Las Vegas on DAZN. In the main event, we had Devin Haney taking on Jorge Linares, 12 rounds for Haney's WBC lightweight title. And Devin Haney, at only 22 years old, is already one of the best young fighters in the sport. He's already a world champion, and the guy that holds the other three belts would be Tiafimo Lopez Jr. So hopefully, we see Haney and Lopez fight each other to determine an undisputed champion. And he in this fight, he fought Jorge Linares, a very experienced boxer, 35 years old, who's been in there against the likes of Vasil Lomachenko, 
who he lost to by 10th round knockout. He also uh, has wins over Abner Koto and Carlos Morales most recently. Knocked him out in the 4th round. He's also been in there against Anthony Krola. Got a unanimous decision win over him twice. Split decision win over Luke Campbell. So this uh, boxer, he's very experienced, has a record of 47-6 and six with 29 wins coming by knockout. This was definitely the toughest opponent that Devin Haney has faced to date. And I thought he passed this test with flying colors, was the much more active fighter in there, was able to land a lot more power punches and really make Jorge Linares uncomfortable in there and fight off the back foot. And Linares is a pretty skilled counterpuncher, but I thought that Devin Haney did a good job of closing down the space and then getting out of range when uh, Linares would try to fire back. For a majority of the fight, Haney did indeed dominate, but then uh, in the later rounds, Linares actually caught Haney with a pretty big shot. I believe it was, it was a straight right hand that caught Haney and I thought he did a good job of showing his willpower and a pretty decent chin to come back from that big shot and continue on winning the fight. So overall a really strong performance from Devin Haney and it's exactly what he needed after a somewhat disappointing outing against Eurokis Gamboa in his previous fight that he won by unanimous decision but I felt like he should have got Gamboa out of there. In this fight against Jorge Linares, who came in with a full training camp and really wanting this win against this young hungry lion in Devin Haney, Haney proved to be quicker, more powerful, and more offensively sound in this fight. Let's look at the punch stats here. And uh, Haney landed 215 punches, Linares landed 116, and uh, both threw around the same rate. Haney threw 675, Linares 620 to only land 19% of his punches, whereas Haney landed 32%. So pretty good efficiency there against a pretty decent defensive fighter in Jorge Linares. And Haney just continues to prove why he has so much potential. And hopefully we see that undisputed fight coming up against Tiafimo Lopez Jr., Of course, assuming that Lopez gets through and beats his next opponent, which is George Gambosos, I I believe. And I'll be previewing that fight as we get closer to it. Of course, it was supposed to happen this past weekend on June 19th. However, that fight got canceled. I mean, uh, excuse me, it got postponed because I believe Tifuma Lopez Jr. came down with COVID so they could not continue on with that fight. So I'm looking forward to seeing Tiafima Lopez Jr. back in the ring after his historic win over Vasily Lomachenko, who of course is fighting this weekend. I'll be previewing that fight a little bit later on in this episode. But getting back to Devin Haney, I thought it was a very mature performance from him. He showed his offensive skill set And then he really impressed me also with his defensive ability because Linares could never really get going, never string a lot of punches together. And that's due in part to the footwork and the head movement of Devin Haney. And I think the sky's the limit for this guy. 
And if he had a little bit more knockout power, I think he could be a really big star, the likes of a Gervonta Davis, who of course is also fighting this weekend. So a great performance from Devin Haney. And for Jorge Linares, he's still a top fighter, maybe not at that elite level, but he'll still be able to beat most uh, mid-tier guys. But then when you go in there and fight young hungry lions like uh, Devin Haney, like uh, Luke Campbell, he might struggle in there. That would actually be a rematch that I would love to see would be Jorge Linares against Luke Campbell. Of course, we know Campbell uh, got stopped by Ryan Garcia in his most uh, recent fight, but I think Linares and Campbell would definitely be a rematch worth making. And for Ryan Garcia, he looked great in his last fight, getting that body shot to knock out Luke Campbell. And that's a fight that I would love to see would be Devin Haney taking on Ryan Garcia. If they can't make the Lopez Jr. fight, then maybe we see those two guys square up. It would be a great matchup between two young fighters in Garcia and Haney. And it would really uh, come to determine a lot in that division and who truly deserves to fight Lopez Jr. So a lot of interesting fights to make in the 135-pound division. And then, of course, we've got the sleeping giant in Vasily Lomachenko, who is really looking for that rematch with Lopez Jr. So hopefully he gets that and we see those two square off in the ring once again. Now let's move on to the next fight card on that Saturday. And that was from Carson, California on Showtime. And the main event was Nordin Ubali versus Nonito Donaire. 12 rounds for Ubali's WBC bantamweight title. And Donaire is 38 years old. And his nickname is the Filipino Flash because of his quick movements in there and fast hands. And even at this advanced age, he's still showing world-class ability. And he just beat a world champion to win that belt in his most recent fight against Ubali. He got a fourth round knockout against a world champion and he looked completely overmatched in there. And Donaire's performance was coming after nearly two years out of the ring. He last fought in on November 7th, 2019 in the fight of the year for 2019 against the monster Nayua Inoue who I believe is destined for superstardom if he continues on his upward trajectory. But getting back to Nonito Donaire against Nordine Ubali, a fighter uh, coming out of France, I thought that Donaire had the size advantage and the reach advantage and Ubali could never get on the inside and really land any meaningful punches. Meanwhile, Donaire was doing a beautiful job of counterpunching catching him with a lot of left hooks and that really spelled the end of the night for Ubali as Donaire was able to get him out of there in only four rounds and what I thought was going to be a more competitive fight but Donaire looked absolutely amazing at the age of 38 and hopefully uh, we get that rematch between Inouye and Donaire because it was one of the best fights I've ever seen. Donaire looked very slick in there against the former world champion in Ubali, both offensively and defensively, and he won the WBC bantamweight title back on May 29th, 
And what really impressed me here was his discipline, his hand speed, his defensive instincts, and his footwork. He looks much younger than a 38-year-old fighter who's been in many wars. Uh, his professional record now is 41-6 with 27 wins by knockout. And he's got uh, six losses, most recently, of course, to Niowa Inouye. He also lost to Carl Frampton, Jesse Magdaleno, Nicholas Walters, Guillermo Rigondeau. But I think with each of these losses, he's come back better for it, as we saw in his most recent fight. And I just think it's an amazing story for a guy at 38 to come back and win another world championship. It just shows his boxing acumen, his ability to come back from losses and push forward and get better from those losses. And I think that anyway fight uh, made him a better fighter, made him more defensively sound. And that hand speed was just amazing to watch as he's still one of the fastest fighters in all of boxing. And he actually has his next fight lined up as Donaire will next be fighting John Rael Casimiro coming up on August 14th uh, from Carson, California. So maybe I can go to that fight since I am in Los Angeles. So if Donaire can get past John Rael Casimiro, which I think will be a competitive fight, but if Donaire gets past him, then I could definitely see that rematch with Inouye getting made and it would be another super fight that would be much anticipated considering how amazing their first fight was. So overall, a great performance from Nonito Donaire as he continues to defy father time and look absolutely amazing in the boxing ring. I can't wait till his next fight coming up in August. And that fight is actually a unification bout because his opponent, John Real Casimiro, holds the WBO bantamweight title, and Nonito Donaire holds the WBC bantamweight title. So the winner of that big unification belt would actually hold two of the four belts, making a matchup with Inouye very likely for the winner of that fight. And it's also a huge fight for the Filipino boxing community, because both Nonito Donaire and John Real Casimiro are both Filipino world champions. So it'll be a huge fight in the Philippines. And I know I'm looking forward to it. And not only that, but August 14th, we've got Donaire against Casimiro. And then the next weekend on August 21st, we've got Manny Pacquiao taking on Errol Spence Jr. So that's two huge fights coming up in August on the boxing calendar for all the Filipino fight fans, and really for fight fans in general, because both Donaire and Pacquiao are two of the most exciting fighters to watch in boxing. They're both very quick, very technical, and I can't wait to see them both perform in back-to-back weekends. What an amazing couple of fights we've got coming up in August. And then the other champion in the weight division, the monster Naiwa Inoue out of Japan, He holds the other two belts, the WBA and the IBF belts in the bantamweight division at 118 pounds. So I think a huge undisputed fight between the winner of Donaire and Casemiro against Inouye is seeming all the more likely. Now, moving on to another fight card on June 5th from 
the Telford International Center in Telford, England. We had Daniel Dubois taking on Bogdan Dinu, and Dubois got, got him out of there in only two rounds with a second round knockout. And this was a really big comeback fight for the heavyweight prospect and Daniel Dubois, who's still a young fighter. He's only 23 years old, so he's got a long and successful career ahead of him. Of course, he is coming off that loss to Joe Joyce in what was really one of the biggest uh, British boxing matchups in recent history between Joyce and Dubois. Joyce, the more experienced and older fighter, got Dubois out of there with a 10th round knockout in in what was really a very close fight. And maybe Dubois can now set up a rematch with Joe Joyce after this dominant uh, fight he had against Bogdan Dinu with a second round knockout. And he once again showed his power, his finishing ability, and why he remains such an enticing heavyweight prospect and most likely a future world champion is because of his boxing fundamentals, his power, his timing, and his killer instinct which we saw once again against an overmatched opponent in Bogdan Dinu. And Joe Joyce actually has his next fight scheduled. He will be taking on the veteran Carlos Takam coming up on July 24th from the SSC Arena in London, England. And that's a big fight for Joe Joyce to prove that he remains a very promising heavyweight fighter and a big win over Carlos Takam likely gets him closer to a heavyweight title shot which I believe he deserves as Joe Joyce he is now 35 years old so he's getting up there in age doesn't have as much time as Daniel Dubois who's over a decade younger than him so at 35 years old Joe Joyce only has 12 wins and zero losses so hasn't been a professional for very long, but he each time he fights, he shows more and more quality. And that big win over a power puncher like Daniel Dubois uh, is getting him closer and closer to maybe a heavyweight title shot against the likes of a Tyson Fury and Anthony Joshua, perhaps. So we'll see how that all plays out. But coming up against Carlos Takam, Takam has been in there against uh, the best fighters in the heavyweight division, and he's got a record of 39-5-1, and and he has losses to the likes of Anthony Joshua, Derek Chisora, Joseph Parker, Alexander Povetkin. So this is a very big fight for Joe Joyce against a guy like Takam that's very experienced in there and has been in there with the best in the division. And if Joe Joyce comes out of there and knocks him out, then I think it won't be too long before he fights for a title. And for Daniel Dubois, he's shown his fight against Bogdan Dinu that he's a world-class prospect, but he's still very young. So a few more fights, a few more knockouts, and he'll likely get those big fights that he's looking for and eventually a heavyweight title shot. So I really can't wait to see Daniel Dubois back in the ring to build off this performance and put that tough loss against Joe Joyce behind him. And then coming up at the end of July, I'm really looking forward to see how Joe Joyce, uh, you know, looks after that big win over Daniel Dubois and if he can take care of a tough, grizzled veteran like Carlos Takam.
And moving on to another fight card on June 12th from Las Vegas on ESPN and ESPN Plus, we had a title fight between Shakur Stevenson against Jeremiah Nakatila, 12 rounds for the vacant WBO interim junior lightweight title. And once again, Shakur Stevenson showed off amazing boxing fundamentals. Shakur Stevenson, he's only 23 years old. And with each successive performance, he continues to impress more and more. Now, I heard a lot of people saying he should have got Nakatila out of there and it never should have gone to a decision. But listening to Shakur Stevenson post-fight saying, I tried to push the issue and get him out of there, but then he hit me a little bit and I really didn't like that. And that just shows me how defensively sound he is. That this guy got hit only 28 times during the course of a 12-round fight. And he still felt that 28 times was too much for him to be getting hit. That just shows how he thinks, how defensively sound he is, and what an amazing boxer he is. There's really no one else in the sport that's doing it to the level that Shakur Stevenson is at. So when he makes statements like, He believes his defense is the best in boxing. I actually believe him, and he backed it up once again against Nakatila, who could never seem to find the range on Shakur Stevenson, never be able to land his big right hand, which is really what he was looking for the whole fight. And Shakur Stevenson does a beautiful job of utilizing distance, footwork, head movement, and really overall boxing ability to just flummox his opponents, frustrate them as they can never really seem to find the target against him. And some fight fans might have thought that this fight was boring, that Stevenson should have got the knockout. But for me, as a true boxing purist, Shakur Stevenson is just the type of fighter that I love to watch because of his boxing fundamentals his defensive instincts, and his ability to make boxing look easy, look like not a dangerous sport, look like something that is art, because that's what we're watching whenever Stevenson fights. We're watching art in the making, and it's just a beautiful thing to watch. So for me, I don't need to see the knockout. I just see the amazing defensive ability, and I'm all the more impressed with Shakur Stevenson after this fight once again. Now, looking at the punch stats for this fight, Stevenson threw 304 punches, landed 114 for a 38% connect rate and landed 30 shots to the body, which is really what set up the rest of his offense. And on the other hand, Nakatila, he threw 305 punches, only landed 28 for a 9% connect rate and only 4 shots to the body. That's right, a 9% connect rate in a 12-round fight. And Stevenson is only 23 years old, and his defense is already elite. And his offense still has some catching up to do, but he's still a young fighter, and I believe over time he'll get more and more confident with his offensive capabilities and show off more and more knockout power. But early on in his career, he's already got elite defensive instincts. And I think that's going to be enough for him to capture his first world title 
which I'm pretty sure will be coming up against Jamel Herring. They haven't announced a date for that fight, but expect uh, Shakur Stevenson against Jamel Herring to be announced soon for uh, Herring's world title. And then if Stevenson can get past Herring, then most likely the next fight for him would be against Oscar Valdez as he moves closer and closer to becoming the undisputed champion in the 130-pound division. I already believe he's the best 130-pounder in the world. He's just got to go out there, get those world title fights, and prove it. And I just did the math. Shakur Stevenson got hit 28 times in a 12-round fight. That's 2.3 hits per round. That's almost like he didn't get touched at all. Just amazing boxing instincts, amazing defensive ability. A lot of people have referred to him as this generation's Floyd Mayweather. And if he continues on with these amazing defensive masterclasses, then he definitely deserves uh, that nickname or a living up to that the legacy of Mayweather. But Shakur Stevenson has said He's his own fighter. He's got his own style, so he doesn't necessarily want to be compared to Mayweather, but he definitely appreciates the high praise. And also uh, watching a little like documentary footage that ESPN put on uh, in the lead up to this fight, Shakur Stevenson and Terrence Crawford have actually grown uh, very close to each other. It's kind of a big brother, little brother type of relationship. And that's just great to see when you see uh, greatness come together like Terrence Crawford and Shakur Stevenson as uh, Crawford is kind of giving him pointers and helping him along in his boxing career. It's just great to see because you love to see the best help the best. And I think that's what both Stevenson and Crawford are. So we'll be watching with bated breath to see what Shakur Stevenson does next. But I believe it won't be too long until he becomes the undisputed champion in the 130-pound division if he can get the other champions to step in the boxing ring against him and miss with most of their punches because that's exactly what's going to happen when you go in there and fight Stevenson. And right now in the 130-pound division, the three bell holders are Gervonta Davis, Oscar Valdez, and Jamel Herring. And the IBF title is currently vacant. So I think the next two opponents for Stevenson will be Herring and then Valdez. And then maybe they can make that fight happen with Gervonta Davis. But it'll be a bit harder to make because uh, while both Herring and Valdez fight on ESPN with top rank, Gervonta Davis currently fights with Showtime. So a matchup with Shakur Stevenson against Gervonta Davis might be hard to make, but hopefully we see that fight happen if Stevenson can get past Herring and Valdez, which I hope will be his next two fights. This kid is just destined for superstardom, and while his defense is already elite, expect his offense to get better and better as he uh, continues to gain more and more experience in the fight game. The sky's the limit for Shakur Stevenson, and I can't wait to see him fight again. And one of the hardest things for boxers to get really good at is measuring distance and knowing when to get in and out of range. And it seems like Stevenson has an innate ability 
to measure distance and control how the fight's going to play out. And that's an absolutely amazing quality to have in a fighter. And it's why he's going to uh, become a world champion and he he's just destined for great things in the sport of boxing. Moving on to the next fight card on June 19th from El Paso, Texas on DAZN. In the co-main event, we had Gabriel Rosado taking on Bektamir Melikuzeev, 12 rounds in the super middleweight division. And Rosado, after a really quality performance against Daniel Jacobs, that fight went to a decision that Jacobs won, but a lot of people thought that Rosado actually won that fight, and it was a really uninspired performance by Jacobs. And then Rosado follows that performance up with an amazing knockout win over Meli Kuziev as uh, he caught him with a beautiful counter right hook as uh, the, his, his opponent was coming in too aggressively and knocked him out cold in what right now looks like the knockout of the year. If you haven't seen it, go ahead, go on YouTube, uh, type in Rosado KO to check out that knockout. Absolutely amazing timing by Gabriel Rosado. And early on in that fight, uh, his opponent actually knocked Rosado down and Rosado was losing that fight. But then it all changed with one punch, a beautiful counter right hook that uh, caught his opponent, uh, Bektamir Melu Kaziev, and put him down and out for the count. An amazing knockout, a great performance by Gabriel Rosado. And after the fight, Rosado actually called out Munguia, saying he would love to face him in in uh, his next fight. So maybe we see Munguia against Rosado. A really quality matchup of two guys that are not quite elite, but could get to that elite level. Uh, chiefly, Munguia could get to that elite level. I don't think Rosado can because he's uh, older than Munguia. But Munguia is just starting out his boxing career. And he wants those big matchups in the future with the likes of a Canelo Alvarez, maybe a Gennady Golovkin. So if Munguia looks really good in his next fight, which potentially could be against Rosado, then we could see him uh, getting those big matchups in the future. And looking at the punch stats for this fight, Rosado only landed 10 punches and threw 62 for a 16% connect rate. His opponent landed 42 through 77 for a 54% connect rate. So just looking at the punch stats, you would have thought that uh, Bektamir Melukiziev actually won this fight. But guess what? Gabriel Rosado only needed one punch to end the fight. Uh, Definitely the knockout of the year thus far in 2021. And just an amazingly timed punch. And a really quality performance from Rosado, who early on was losing that fight. So for him to come back in such emphatic fashion and to show off that power that he's never really shown in his career uh, proves to me that he's getting better and better in each fight. And I think that Munguia-Rosado matchup would be a very exciting all-action fight. The types of fights that Rosado is known for, chiefly for the one uh, the war he had against Gennady Golovkin. So we'll see uh, if Rosado and Munguia gets made next. And speaking of Jaime Munguia, he was actually the fighter 
that fought in the main event. And he took on Camille Scherzmetta, 12 rounds in the middleweight division. And Scherzmetta is the fighter that previously fought to Gennady Golovkin and got uh, stopped by him. And in his next fight, he took on Jaime Munguia, who just had too much power for him, too much youth, too much pace, too much ring activity in there, and was able to stop Scherzmetta after a six-round corner stoppage. Another impressive performance from Munguia, who right now, he's only 24 years old, and he remains one of the most impressive and exciting Mexican fighters in the sport, fighters period, and he has a record of 37-0, so a lot of experience in there for only being 24 years old, and I think those big fights against the likes of a Daniel Jacobs, Glovkin, maybe Canelo Alvarez are just around the corner, but I think most likely his next opponent could indeed be Gabriel Rosado, and I think that would be a very exciting fight. But in this particular performance against Shares Meta, he showed me incredible ring activity, uh, great uppercuts, uh, decent jab, and a lot of power punches, and that's exactly what Munguia is able to do. He's able to string together a lot of power punches and really just overwhelm his opponents with his ring activity. And that's exactly what he did against the Polish fighter in Camille Scherzmetta. And looking at the punch stats, it just proves that point even further. As Munguia landed 131 and threw 235 for a 56% connect rate. Shares Meta landed only 49 through 130 for a 38% connect rate. So for him to land 131 punches in a fight that only lasted 6 rounds just shows the type of activity in there, the type of pressure that he puts on his opponents, and the reason why he is such a great knockout artist and why uh, he continues to be one of the best young boxers in the sport. And he has a record of 37-0 with 30 wins by knockout and 7 by decision. That shows me he's got great uh, finishing instincts. But the one thing he has to work on is his defensive fundamentals. Because for me, he gets hit too much and too often. And if he can clean that up, he'll be able to have a longer and more successful career. But there's no question that his offense continues uh, to impress with each fight. But, of course, defensively, there is room for improvement, and we'll see if Munguia is up to the task as he moves on and fights tougher and tougher opponents in his next fights. And, of course, there's a lot of big fights to make at 160 with uh, Jamal Charlo, Gennady Golovkin, maybe a Demetrius Andrade. We'll see where Munguia goes from here, but I don't think he'll be too much longer until he's challenging for a world title. And while he does have a good chin and definitely can take a punch, he shouldn't rely on that and should really be in the gym working on his defensive fundamentals because the tougher opponent he faces, uh, the more and more he's going to need to rely on that defense in order to stay in the fight and uh, land his own punches. And also on June 19th from Houston on Showtime, in the title fight we had Jamal Charlo taking on Juan Macias Montiel, 12 rounds, 
for Charlo's WBC middleweight title. And this was a fight that Charlo won on to win by unanimous decision. But a lot of people expected him to get him out of there before the final bell. However, he was unable to because Montiel is a very tough opponent with a good chin. And he really gave Charlo a good 12 rounds of boxing in there. While Charlo won most of the rounds, if not all of them, Montiel definitely got some good punches in. And uh, it looked like Charlo was starting to tire and wear down as the fight was getting into those later rounds. It shows me that Montiel has an incredible warrior spirit to take the beating that he did against Charlo and survive it and come back and land some pretty good power punches of his own. This was really a pretty good fight, pretty uh, high action for a majority of the fight, mostly dominated by Charlo as expected. However, he was unable to get Montiel out of there. Charlo did a great job of working behind his jab to set up his power punches and was really able to put quite the beating on Montiel. Now let's look at the fight stats for this fight. Charlo landed 258 punches and threw 769 for a 34% connect rate and Montiel landed 127 of 427 punches thrown for only a 30% connect rate. Charlo landed 57 of 330 jabs and Montiel only landed 7 of 145 jabs. So clearly the plan of attack for Charlo was to throw a lot of jabs uh, to set up his straight right hand, his powerful left hook, his decent body shots. And you look at the body shots landed, Charlo landed 41 body shots, whereas Montiel only landed 4. So clearly Charlo was able to mix it up pretty well going to the head and body. Although I thought he could have gone to the body a little bit more because Montiel had a very tough chin. So perhaps if Charlo worked the body a bit more, he could have got Montiel out of there before the final bell. So a pretty decent performance from Charlo here against a tough Mexican warrior in Juan Macias Montiel. Montiel showed a really good chin in there and he also showed some pretty decent power, but overall the ring activity, the power punches of Jamal Charlo was just too much for Montiel to overcome. And hopefully we see Jamal Charlo taking on Gennady Golovkin next. I think that's the biggest fight you can make in the 160 pound division. I think uh, that Charlo deserves that fight and that it would be a huge fight for Gennady Golovkin, the biggest fight since he took on Canelo Alvarez. So we'll see what happens, but Jamal Charlo did what he needed to do in there. He looked really good at times, able to string together a lot of power punches, but not get that uh, one knockout blow he needed to get Montiel out of there. And for Montiel, he should be proud of his performance because he went 12 hard rounds against a big power puncher in Charlo and was able to survive and had, and had some pretty good moments in uh, the back half of the fight. Hopefully, we see Charlo taking on Golovkin next. I think that's the fight that needs to be made in the 160-pound division, and it would be a huge opportunity for both fighters. 
But speaking of Jamal Charlo, his twin brother, Jamel Charlo, has a big fight coming up on July 17th from the AT&T Center in San Antonio, Texas. And it's a full unification belt in the 154-pound division against the other belt holder in Brian Castaño. And if Jermel Charlo can beat him, he will become the undisputed champion in the 154-pound division. So after uh, the tough fight that Jermel Charlo had, I'm sure his attention is now fully focused on helping his twin brother become the undisputed champion at 154 pounds. And hopefully he can follow in his footsteps and become the undisputed champion at 160 pounds. I believe they're the best twins in the history of boxing. I'm not really sure who else is up there with them. But they're definitely both making a name for themselves respectively. And it's always great to see these Charlo twins in the ring. Moving on to the next fight card on June 19th from Las Vegas on ESPN and ESPN+. Plus. In the title fight, the main event, we had Nayo Inoue taking on Michael Das Marinas. 12 rounds for Inoue's IBF and WBA bantamweight titles. Das Marinas is a Filipino fighter. Inoue is a Japanese fighter. Inoue once again lived up to his nickname, The Monster, as he was able to get Das Marinas out of there in only three rounds, landing hellacious left hooks to the body, liver shots, kidney shots that got Das Marinas out of there. He could not take the power of Inoue, the on-forward pressure that Inoue puts on his opponents, and Inoue once again lived up to the huge hype that he has behind him as he was able to get Das Marinas out of there in only three rounds and really impressed me with not only offensively but also defensively. Inoue is a great offensive fighter, so you might think, oh, he doesn't really focus on his defense because he's so confident that he can get the knockout. But he's also very stingy defensively, so overall he's a very fundamentally sound and technical boxer. He's also very accurate with his punches. He doesn't like to waste a lot of punches and throw punches that he knows aren't going to hit the target. He's very accurate, which is why when he landed the first left hook on Dos Marinas uh, to his body, you could see that he was looking for that uh, punch again and again, which is why we saw Inoue fake to the head to set up those body shots to get Dos Marinas to put his hands up to open up the body, and that's exactly what he did to finish him off in the third round. Another amazing performance by Inoue, and that's exactly what a great fighter should do against an overmatched opponent. He should look impressive in there and get him out of there in the early rounds, and that's exactly what Inoue was able to do. And looking at the stats for this fight, Inoue threw 48, landed 31 for a 65% connect rate, amazing accuracy there, and landed 17 shots to the body which is why the fight ended. Das Marinas threw 40, only landed 10 for a 25% connect rate and 5 shots to the body. Clearly, Inoue uh, was able to dominate his opponent and get him out of there in only 3 rounds. Once again, showing why he's one of the best pound-for-pound boxers in the world. 
Right now, I believe he's ranked third on the pound-for-pound list behind uh, Canelo Alvarez and number two, Terrence Crawford, then third, Niowa Inouye. And hopefully we see that rematch between Donaire and Inouye. Both have grown since that fight in 2019. Both have become better fighters, and I think a rematch would be a great thing for the sport. And Inouye is only 28 years old. So he's still got a lot of years left in him. And especially because he's so defensively sound as well as offensively destructive, it makes for a beautiful combination and it should allow him to have a long and successful career. And he could indeed move up in weight because he's only fighting at 118. So maybe after he becomes the undisputed champion, after uh, most likely beating Donaire in their rematch, then perhaps he could move up to perhaps 122 and challenge for more world titles. But this guy is going to be an absolute international superstar. I believe he has the ability to cross over into mainstream culture, not just be popular with boxing fans, but be popular worldwide for his humble uh, attitude outside of the ring and then the destructive power that he showcases inside of it. It just seems like Inouye was born to fight and he's always one of my favorite boxers to watch so that performance against Das Marinas did not disappoint me and I was just impressed with his accuracy, his overall killer instinct in there and also his amazing power. And coming up this Saturday we've actually got a pretty busy fight weekend coming up from Guadalajara, Jalisco, Mexico on DAZN. In the main event, we've got Julio Cesar Martinez versus Joel Cordova. 12 rounds for Martinez's WBC flyweight title. Martinez is one of the most exciting action fighters in the sport. Always pushing forward, throwing a lot of punches. He's a Mexican fighter, only 26 years old, and he is currently the WBC flyweight champion and his record is 17 and 1 and he has 13 wins by knockout and 4 by decision with one loss and one no contest so he's always looking to get the finish in there and I'm not really too familiar with their opponent, his opponent uh Joel Cordova but I expect the very impressive and exciting Julio Cesar Martinez to get this win and I'll say by knockout in the 5th round He's just a very exciting fighter to watch, so you're going to want to tune in to DAZN coming up this Saturday to watch him in action. He's really one of the more exciting smaller fighters in the sport, and it's always fun to see him fight. The fight against Jay Harris, a unanimous decision for him back in 2020, was a very exciting fight, and he's coming off a second round knockout over Moises Calleros. Uh, back on October of 2020 so he'll look to continue his winning ways coming up against Joel Cordova this Saturday and this is a very small weight division the flyweight division as it's uh, from 108 to 112 pounds so clearly you have to be a very small fighter to fight in this weight division and Julio Cesar Martinez is five foot two. But boy, does he pack a punch with a lot of power in there, a lot of speed, and I'm looking forward to an exciting fight. 
And his former opponent, Jay Harris, is actually also fighting this weekend on June 25th, so Friday from Bolton, England on ESPN Plus against Ricardo Rafael Sandoval. I expect Harris to get the win there, I'll say by unanimous decision. It should be another exciting fight as uh, Jay Harris, a fighter from England, should get the win here because of his superior speed and boxing fundamentals. I'm not too familiar with his opponent, but watch out for uh, those two fights coming up. And another big fight card coming up is on June 26th from Atlanta on Showtime pay-per-view. In the co-main event, we've got Erickson Lubin versus Jason Rosario. 12 rounds for the WBC Junior Middleweight Title Eliminator. So a really big opportunity for both of these fighters. Erickson Lubin is a very impressive fighter as he has a record of 23-1 and and his only loss came to Jermel Charlo by first round knockout back in 2017. So clearly he's a very quality fighter and he uh, is fighting currently in the light middleweight division. So he fights at 154 pounds and he's already been in there with the best 154 pounder in the world in Jermel Charlo and uh, got knocked out by him. But he's got other big wins over Terrell Gausha by unanimous decision, Nathaniel Gilmore also by unanimous decision, Ishe Smith by a third round corner stoppage, Jorge Cota by a knockout in the fourth round. So clearly he's a very quality fighter and he's the favorite going into this fight at minus 300. His opponent Jason Rosario is the underdog at plus 240. So this fight could go either way. I expect Lubin to win, I'll say by split decision. I think it's going to be a very competitive and exciting fight between two quality opponents. And uh, his opponent, Jason Rosario, his record is 22-1 with 20 wins, 2 losses, and 1 draw. And his most recent fight, he got knocked out by Jermel Charlo in the 8th round after Charlo landed a beautiful body shot right above the waistline to put Jason Rosario down. And his other loss came to Nathaniel Gallimore uh, by knockout in the sixth round, a guy that uh, Lubin beat in Gallimore while Rosario lost to him. So this should be a very competitive fight. Both fighters have lost to Jermel Charlo in the past, and I think both have learned from those losses and become better fighters. I'm going to go ahead and pick Lubin by split decision. As I said earlier, I just think he's a little stronger. He's got more experience than Rosario. But I could definitely see Rosario winning this fight because he showed that he's got really good quality in there. Uh, getting a big win over Julian Williams by knockout to set up his uh, opportunity to fight Charlo in his next fight. Of course, he didn't take advantage as he got knocked out in the 8th round. But he still showed a pretty good quality in there. And this should be a, a very close fight and a very good co-main event uh, on this fight card. And the guy that wins this fight could be next in line to challenge uh, the winner of Jermel Charlo and Brian Castaño in their uh, undisputed fight coming up in July. So big opportunity for both fighters. We'll see how it plays out 
It should be an exciting back and forth fight. And it's a really good matchup in that light middleweight division. And I'm looking forward to how it all plays out. And in the main event, we've got Gervonta Davis taking on Mario Barrios for Barrios WBA regular junior welterweight title. This is a big fight uh, for both fighters coming into this. And Gervonta Davis is the favorite at minus 500. Barrios, the underdog, at plus 350. I'll pick Davis here to win by ninth round knockout. I just think that eventually he's going to find his power punch. And we all know his amazing knockout power. He had the knockout of the year in 2020, in my opinion, when he knocked out Leo Santa Cruz with a beautiful left uppercut. And we'll see how he follows up that performance against the bigger and taller Mario Barrios. And Gervonta Davis is 26 years old. He's only five foot and a half with this 67 and a half inch reach. And he's actually jumping up two weight divisions in order to take on Mario Barrios. Gervonta Davis has belts in the 130 and 135 pound division. And he's fighting a guy in Mario Barrios who currently holds the WBA regular belt in the 140-pound division. Of course, we know Josh Taylor just became the undisputed champion in the 140-pound division. But Mario Barrios holds one of the other belts. And now he's putting that on the line against Gervonta Davis. And uh, Mario Barrios, uh, he's going to be taller and has longer reach. He's 5'10 with a 71-inch reach, and he's 26 years old. So they're both the same age. However, Barrios uh, is taller by about 5.5 inches and ha- also has a few inches on him in terms of their reach. So Gervonta Davis is really going to have to find his timing in there, find his distance, and attempt to get on the inside and land those big uppercuts, big right hooks to try and get Barrios out of there which I think he will in the ninth round. And Barrios is undefeated, having a record of 26-0. And most recently, he knocked out Ryan Carl in the sixth round. And previous to that, he got a unanimous decision win over Batar Akhmedov. And he has 17 wins by knockout and 9 by decision. And he is currently going up against... Gervonta Davis, who has never fought in the 140-pound weight division. So clearly for this fight, he's not going to have to cut a lot of weight. He can probably go in there in his uh, walking around weight, whereas his opponent, Barrios, might be a little bit weight-drained in there as he did have to cut weight since he is uh, about 5 inches taller than him and has 4 inches in reach on his smaller opponent in Davis. But Davis remains one of the best power punchers in the sport of boxing. And now he's taking on a bigger and longer opponent to further prove that his punching power can translate to the bigger weight divisions. And we'll see how he does against Barrios. I expect it to be a competitive fight. But just as uh, he did against the taller Santa Cruz, Davis was able to find his timing and land a beautiful counter left uppercut to land Santa Cruz out. I expect Davis to once again find his timing against Barrios, 
get on the inside and land those power punches. And sometimes the advantage of having shorter arms is that your punches take less time to land on your opponent because you've got short arms and you're fighting at a closer distance. However, if this fight stays on the outside and Barrios is just able to pick him off uh, by keeping this fight at a longer distance, then maybe he can pull off the upset. But I don't see that happening for the full 12 rounds. I think eventually that Davis is going to be able to get in there and land his knockout punch. And just like Niowa Inoue, uh, Gervonta Davis also has this destructive knockout power that you don't think should be possible for such a small fighter as he only stands at five foot five and a half. But it is because of his incredible boxing fundamentals and his God-given power. Power can't be taught. You either have it or you don't as a boxer. And clearly Davis has the gift of power, but he's also worked at it with a lot of gym work, a lot of training to hone that power and unleash it on fight night. And also on June 26th from Las Vegas on ESPN Plus, we've got the return of Vasily Lomachenko taking on Masayoshi Nakatani, 12 rounds in the lightweight division at 135 pounds. This is a huge opportunity for both fighters. If the bigger and taller Nakatani can beat Lomachenko, then perhaps he gets that rematch with Teofimo Lopez Jr. If Lomachenko goes in there and looks really sharp, really quick, and is able to get the win over Nakatani, then he could perhaps set himself up for a rematch against Teofimo Lopez Jr. Both of these guys have lost to uh, Lopez Jr. before, so they have a common opponent there. And for Lomachenko, this is the biggest fight of his career coming off a disappointing loss to Lopez. He's got to show his elite speed, timing, and accuracy that made him such an amazing fighter to watch. He's got to once again prove that against Nakatani and see if he can overcome that shoulder injury that he was dealing with against Lopez Jr. See how his shoulder looks, how his movement looks, and we all know the story of Lomachenko, that when he was a young boy, his father and his current boxing trainer actually took him out of boxing and putting, put him in dance lessons instead so he could improve his footwork and his fundamentals. And then later on, after a couple years of taking dance, he put him back in boxing. And that's why we see Lomachenko have such great timing and footwork is because of that dancing background. Lomachenko has a record of 14-2, his opponent Nakatani a record of 19-1. Lomachenko has 10 knockouts, Nakatani with 13. Lomachenko is 5'7 with a 65.5 inch reach. Nakatani is 5'11 with a 71 inch reach. Lomachenko fights from a southpaw stance whereas Nakatani fights orthodox. So that battle of the front foot will be key to watch in this fight. And looking at the odds for this fight, uh, Nakatani is an underdog at plus 750. Lomachenko, the favorite, at minus 2,000. I expect this fight to go the full 12 rounds and for Lomachenko to win by unanimous decision. I don't think he'll be able to knock Nakatani out of there because he has a good chin. 
and he also has the height and reach advantage on Lomachenko. So Lomachenko will be, have to be punching up to hit the face of Nakatani. But that does leave Nakatani open to a lot of body shots. And we've seen Lomachenko before end fights with body shots. So maybe that's what happens here against the taller Nakatani. And while Lomachenko is coming off a loss to his opponent, Tifuma Lopez Jr., in October of last year, Nakatani is coming off a ninth round knockout of Felix Verdejo back in December of 2020. And this is really the biggest fight of his career coming up against Vasil Lomachenko. If he can maintain his distance, work behind his jab, and land that big right hand that we saw him land against Verdejo, then maybe he can pull off the upset. But I think Lomachenko will be too elusive in there, too quick, and he'll show us boxing fans that that uh, Lopez Jr. loss was just a fluke, and hopefully he can avenge it if they do indeed get a rematch. But I expect Lomachenko to win this fight by unanimous decision. I'm really looking forward to this weekend. We've got Gervonta Davis in action, Lomachenko in action, a really competitive fight between Lubin and Rosario, and then the very exciting Julio Cesar Martinez also fighting. So a very busy uh, fight weekend coming up. Join me and my fellow believers as we tune in to all these great boxing matchups. And before I sign off here, I just wanted to recap a fight I just saw on ESPN Plus between Ricardo Sandoval and Jay Harris. I believe Jay Harris was the favorite going into this fight, the more experienced fighter at 30 years old. But the young lion, uh, Ricardo Sandoval, at only 22 years old, but he definitely fights far beyond his years because he showed real maturity in there, real patience, good accuracy. And then those uh, left hooks to the body, uh, to the solar plexus, is what ended the fight with an eighth round knockout of Jay Harris. And Harris has been in there against uh, the best guys in the flyweight division which is up to 111 pounds, so really small guys there. And he's been the likes of Patty Barnes and uh, Marcel Braithwaite. And he suffered his first career loss, a unanimous decision loss, to Julio Cesar Martinez, who of course is fighting tomorrow. And then uh, his second loss came just a, f- a few hours ago to Ricardo Sandoval, a young kid uh, fighting out of California. He's Mexican-American. And only 22 years old, as I said. And I think he has a very bright future in the flyweight division. And for Jay Harris, he's got to look at the tape. I felt like he was getting hit too much. And then when he would get hit, he would make the mistake of coming forward and trying to get that hit back. And then Sandoval would often catch him with a good-timed counterpunch. That would uh, snap the head back of Jay Harris. I just felt like he was a step behind the whole fight. He wasn't the quicker fighter in there. Sandoval, to me, showed real maturity. He won the first two rounds, then probably lost rounds three and four, but came back strong after that. Like I said, timing Jay Harris really well. A really uh, mature performance from Ricardo Sandoval. So go ahead on ESPN Plus and uh, check that fight out to get warmed up for a busy night of fights coming up tomorrow on Saturday. Well, that will conclude episode number 29 of Combat Bets with Jason Barron on the Believe Network presented by betonline.ag. Remember, get vaccinated if you're not. 
Or really, it's your choice. I got vaccinated, got my Pfizer vaccine. And also remember to social distance, wear your mask when necessary. And of course, Kobe forever, Mamba forever, Diego Maradona forever, Hank Aaron forever, Elgin Baylor forever, and of course, the legendary Marvin Hagler forever. Thank you so much for listening to this great episode. And remember to tune in for the next installment of Combat Bets with Jason Barron. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Enjoy all the great fights we've got coming up this weekend. And stay safe. And also, don't forget, we've also got the Euro knockout round coming up, the round of 16. We'll see how that all plays out. I hope Belgium wins it, but I know that Italy and France also have really strong teams. And don't forget about Copa America. We've got international superstars like Messi in Argentina, Luis Suarez on Uruguay. So there's a lot of good soccer to also look forward to outside of boxing. And then, of course, we've got the NBA playoffs going on. How about those Atlanta Hawks? I think they've really surprised a lot of people by getting to the conference finals. We'll see how it plays out against the Milwaukee Bucks. And then Phoenix Suns and the Clippers. Uh, Too bad that Kawhi Leonard is still out. Hopefully he can come back during the series, but very interesting stuff. I think right now that I would say the Suns and the Bucks most likely will meet in the NBA Finals, but really anything can happen as we've seen with the Sixers losing, the Lakers losing. So a lot of... uh, fun sports to look forward to and don't forget about Wimbledon we'll see uh, if Djokovic can continue his dominant form winning both the Australian Open and the French Open to start out the tennis season we'll see how he finishes out with Wimbledon the Olympics and then the U.S. Open well have a great weekend full of some great soccer action hopefully you catch the UFC card and uh, some great boxing matchups Once again, thank you so much for listening, and enjoy your weekend. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.